0: I'm here, I'm here. So, how do we start?
1: Hi, this is Agan and Łukasz, and this is Catching the Next Wave podcast, where we discuss the future of design
0: and much more.
1: Innovation catalyst, speaker, author, presenter, and advisor on creativity, innovation, and multimodal communication with deep experience in servicing individual corporate and SME clients on four continents. Ralph Talmont. And we lost him. <laughs> Did we? Yeah.
0: Mm. I'm here, I'm here. Okay. Oh, just the video went, okay.
1: Today, Ralph uses his innate ability to connect people and concepts and communicate ideas to build value for a variety of online and offline projects, is a founder and advisor of early age startups and coaches companies and organizations on creativity and innovation. His new book, The Pig Not the Lipstick, offers practical guidance on how organizations can implement innovation thinking programs based on methods and approaches drawn from the creative industry. And he's also involved with BOMA, The New Way of Doing Consulting Jobs. Ralph. Really nice to have you with us today.
0: It's a pleasure as always. There's only one correction, if I may. Yeah, we are not about consulting. Okay, we are about making the world a better place. Cool. And uh, as we go on today, I'm sure I'll be able to perhaps um, expand a little on that. How about we start from that? It's an interesting concept. We're not consultants, but we actually help organizations from within. We're not uh, event organizers, but uh, pretty much all of the Burma country partners have been organizing lots of high-profile events. We're not a training company, but executive education is a major part of of what we do. It's the trickiest thing to explain, because it's actually a new way of bringing value to organizations. And when I say we're about... um, making the world a better place, there is an addendum, making the world a better place through working with business. For the simple reason that uh, we are all entrepreneurs. There are currently, I think, 12 BOMA chapters around the world, and they're all run by people who have run their own businesses, for some of them quite substantial periods of time. And we simply believe that by working with business, we are able to deliver value in the places where it is most needed and in the places where it is actually potentially most effective
1: why do you think there is a need for this new way of helping businesses
0: because the mm-hmm. old way doesn't work anymore
1: why doesn't it work
0: well it's um, unfortunately by design it's um, outdated we are realizing we the civilization or we. We, the human we, I think are realizing that um, the system of creating value, of business, of exchanging, trading, capitalism itself is in need of redesign because, among other things, it doesn't take into account the sort of costs that um, environmental leaders have been talking about for decades, costs to the planet, costs to the environment, air, water, These are not factored into the cost of doing business. And then, of course, what that means is uh, business is um, thinking that it is actually making a profit when it is actually making a profit at the expense of items that it simply hasn't put into its books. That's somewhat tragic because uh, we can see what's going on. The polar uh, ice caps are melting. And that process is speeding up. In Australia, we had uh, bushfires two orders of magnitude greater than ever. Just by way of illustration, in Australia, we have bushfires. It's a normal thing. In fact, the ecology has evolved to accommodate bushfires and indeed to actually use bushfires as a means of, for instance, propagation for some of the species of of eucalyptus. But... um, In the last few decades, we've had the Black Saturday, we've had the Black Wednesday, we've had uh, Black Christmas, and uh, this last period, we had the Black Summer, which kind of goes to illustrate the magnitude of the problem. And it is directly attributed to climate change. And uh, unfortunately, this is a process that needs to uh, be addressed immediately and effectively, and um, that's only one of the big problems that we as a civilization are facing. And BOMA was created as a distributed network to help organizations face those big problems in a new way.
1: Do you think that organizations are ready to face it?
0: Well, this uh, tragic situation that we're facing right now has, uh, if anything, Well, I think it's painted the inadequacy of the many systems that surround us with very stark relief. There are many organizations or leaders in those organizations that, of course, realizing that uh, it's time to address issues other than simply the very easily calculated bottom line. And uh, I think the process is... um, happening a lot faster than than it did or has done for the last 10 or 15 years. People who work in uh, this um, field called innovation, which I hate that word, but we don't have a better one, so we have to use it. Uh, We've been going on about this like scratched records for 10, 15, 20 years, longer, uh, that um, change is inevitable. Change is happening all the time. Change is the only constant. Change is something that you need to work with, not against. Change is fuel, not reason to be terrified. Change is actually the defining principle of our times. This has been a pretty hard sell a lot of the time, because unfortunately, innovation as a concept has often been reduced to innovation management, which uh, really is a sort of a ridiculous concept. You can only manage something once it's actually come to pass. And the nature of innovation is to make things come to pass and then see what happens. At the root level, the word itself is a bit of a clue. Unfortunately, it's been uh, co-opted by well-meaning, highly trained and intelligent human beings. These are not evil MBAs out there. These are people who have been trained to perform a particular job and they do it very, very well. Unfortunately, the nature of innovation means looking more broadly and considering entire contexts and entire landscapes of the operational The immediate. And um, that is not something that um, business schools are particularly good at imparting.
1: So actually, you're saying that maybe the momentum has been created, regardless of whether the businesses were willing to have it or not. But on the other hand, many businesses are going to look at the bottom line right now, don't
0: they? Well, looking at the bottom line means, of course, that uh, you shouldn't simply be considering your next week's expenses if you want your business to survive. Of course, we are in an, a totally unprecedented, abnormal situation. And um, the fallout from uh, the virus, uh, the disease caused caused by the virus, is going to be, I suspect, far broader and far deeper reaching than... Most, if not many, business leaders would uh, venture to agree or to admit. So, of course, right now we're in crisis control. But uh, even here, what actually is badly needed is imagination. Because without imagination, we are not going to be able to actually deal successfully with this crisis, or with any other crisis that I suspect is just around the corner, because uh, the reason we have this pandemic is, again, directly related to skewed relationship to the environment and uh, to wildlife and uh, deforestation, just simply not taking into account the many factors, the many vectors that are coming at us from um, the broader environment which we have been particularly unkind to over the last 50 years. Could you elaborate a little bit more where the imagination comes into play? Because you mentioned already that the old way of judging business, whether it's successful or not, should be altered. Then you mentioned that we need to take many more aspects or dimensions or vectors to calculating the bottom line. This I can follow, but how does the imagination come into this? Well, imagination actually is the thing that we need the most right now. People who study Excel sheets for a living, with all due respect to Excel sheets, and people who study them, uh, will find this challenging and really quite um, difficult to deal with. Unfortunately, the reason that is so is because business or people in business have uh, grown complacent, have grown used to the way things were, which naturally is uh, the enemy number one of innovation in the first place. Why innovate if things are fine? Well, as has been amply demonstrated over the last couple of months, things are not fine. Things never are fine. We just deny that uh, there is a huge possibility of them being very not fine very quickly. And um, I think we've just been lucky. Now we're faced with a situation where the old frameworks of thinking no longer are sufficient. And every innovation manager on earth quotes the famous um, Einstein line that uh, you can't solve a problem with the same mindset that created it in the first place without actually understanding what they're saying. It's not that you're addressing problems, is that you actually have to change the mindset. And... Uh, As uh, most psychologists will tell you, that is not an easy thing to do. Ask any cult leader how easy it is to manipulate people once they're in that particular mindset. Once we emotionally invest in a mindset, then most of the time, it's actually a lot easier to deny the existence of other possibilities and other, (laughs) other possible mindsets than it is to address the fact that perhaps my mindset may be insufficient, not broad enough. Um, Maybe I'm just not looking at enough things at the same time. Unfortunately, innovation has meant changing a few things in order for most things or most other things to remain the same. And that has worked because we've been lucky. Now it's being illustrated to us very clearly that we are actually suffering from a great deficit of imagination. Because um, even though specialists (laughs) who study these things have been telling us for at least 10 years, probably closer to 20, that the likelihood of a rapidly spreading and deadly pandemic was um, high And uh, that such an event was actually, if not imminent, then very, very likely. Well, we've ignored that. Every healthcare system on earth in every country is woefully underfunded. How does that reflect on our collective ability to imagine scenarios and imagine possible outcomes of those scenarios and to prepare? systems that are supposed to take care of us, so that there is a degree of resilience built into those systems. All that takes imagination. And uh, unfortunately, coming back to business, business schools are great at turning out people who are totally brilliant at execution and uh, put them into a business for 20 years, and they will know it inside out. Their understanding of that business will be clear, precise. They'll be able to extract value from that business very, very efficiently. Unfortunately, that also means that because they're concentrating on extracting value out of existing systems, they are not looking at the broader broader context. So this has been demonstrated elegantly by a number of highly successful fintech companies that have eaten away at uh, profits of, of uh, the established banks and financial institutions in a period of months and years, raiding the established fortresses so efficiently, that uh, banks um, are in something of a panic. If I remember correctly, three years ago, there was a, a leaked report. It was either BBVA or Santander, one of the big Spanish banks. I forget which one now. It doesn't really matter. It was a leaked leak report which specifically said, well, that 10% of, of, our, of our gross profit that comes from cross-border transactions well that's about to get eaten by this little upstart company called Transferwise so we better figure out how to diversify and that's just one example where you know highly trained highly motivated highly accomplished professionals people who have run banks for many years have got used to the idea that what is shall be and the nature of innovation is that uh, what is has absolutely zero guarantee of continuing beyond tomorrow, not because those people were stupid or evil, or they meant ill, not at all. They actually meant really well. They wanted to continue to grow a successful business, except they just didn't see wide enough. And so the nature of innovation is such that it requires a change in mindset, not a change in operational principles.
1: You talk about the change in mindset, but the change of mindset is extremely difficult. So does it mean that we have to wait for the new generations to come to the executive level to actually see that change? Or do you think that there is a way to change the executives that are running the companies today so they can actually realize what they are facing and how their thinking should evolve given the Circumstances we are in?
0: Well, I think their thinking is evolving and it is evolving quickly. I'm just hoping that they will get past the natural human response where you choose between fight, flight, or freeze in the face of overwhelming difficulty. Unfortunately, I suspect that um, many will get stuck in the freeze zone or the freeze mode. And they won't get out of it fast enough to actually get into the fight mode and realize that actually they can fight. Not that they should, but that they can. Because that's a very different, again, different mindset. Of course they should. But just because you should, it doesn't mean that you will. You only will if you think that you can. And uh, the situation that... um, many, if not most, businesses find themselves in right now is uh, really instructive. It's interesting to be viewing entire industries, clutching, hanging on to the old way of doing things, desperately trying to figure out how to preserve their market position, how to preserve their, um, not so much even capital, because a lot of businesses have a lot of capital to spend how to make sure that uh, once this disease has passed, they can get back to the way things were just as quickly as possible. And that is deadly. We can be sure that is not going to do them any favors, that kind of thinking. I don't have a crystal ball. That technology was lost in the mist of time a while ago. So I'm not going to to prophesize, nor am I arrogant enough to actually say this industry is going to collapse, even though it's actually clear that there are industries that you know will go to the wall very, very quickly. But for reasons that had existed already before the virus struck, businesses will find it very difficult to adjust to this new reality if the leaders of those businesses continue to insist on returning to how things were six months ago or a year ago. It's just not going to happen. We walked through a door with one-way hinges. There is no going back to the old reality for many reasons and on many levels, because, of course, on a societal level, what we are seeing is um, the um, inadequacy of uh, what we have built over the last 50, 100, 150 years. It's laid bare in front of us. There's just a lot of work ahead to make sure that what we actually build following this dreadful event that uh, that we're facing right now has resilience and is built on principles built on inclusion and on ethics. It's a funny thing, ethics, actually, because uh, you talk to most corporate leaders and um, the answer that quite often, if not most of the time, comes when one asks the simple question, what about ethics? And the answer is, yes, ethics is very important and we must uh, must think about it. And uh, how do you continue with that conversation? Yes, of course, it's important. We must think about it. And what? Ethics is something that is not generally taught at business school. Ethics is mentioned at business school as something that is worthwhile and important. And please read some of the books by the ancients. And now let's everybody get back to those Excel sheets. The point is that there are no answers right now. Because we have not been asking the right questions, only a very narrow range of the wrong ones for a very long time. We've been asking the easy questions What does it cost? How long does it take? Who can I sell it to? These are remarkably simple questions. We now are faced with a situation where there are no clear ethical solutions. Not because ethics is somehow deficient in itself but because our reality has been constructed devoid of any meaningful input from ethics and ethicians, So if the mortar is crumbling, do not ask a painter to fix it. They'll paint over it. The cracks in the mortar will still remain. But that has been our exact attitude since, well, since almost forever, which is why we have the situation we have now. So this kind of goes back to the question of imagination. How do you even come up with a list of difficult questions if you can't imagine where to look for them? You know, I'm not so worried about dying of the virus, luckily, but I'm terrified of what will happen once the disease has passed. And um, a lot of people in business will push very, very hard, to get back where they were without realizing that is a very slippery slope. And unless we ask those hard questions, we will just keep sliding down that slope. Every time another so-called black swan comes and slaps us in the face. Incidentally, this was not a black swan because um, Taleb's definition of a black swan is something that can't be foreseen. This could be foreseen, this has been foreseen. Just that it was too hard. And anyway, oh, it's, it's just fine at the moment. Kind of like, um, you know, the old story that um, how many people are out there looking for asteroids and um, tracking them and measuring their velocity and uh, likely course. Apparently, there are about as many as work in an average McDonald's. <laughs> so a cynic will say, yeah, but, you know, how many people have been killed by asteroids in the past? <laughs> Not many! Huh? By the lot of dinosaurs died! <laughs> well, you know, there aren't any. They didn't leave any time capsules. So, you know, no, nobody's been killed by an asteroid. So, you know, why worry? A dreadful paucity of imagination. And this is not a call for us all to get paranoid because that's not what it's about at all. It's just about looking more broadly and coming back to a very practical level. If you run a company that produces something, and you have done for a long time, the longer you run that company, producing that something, and selling it successfully to a well-defined market, you might think the safer you are from uh, any incursions by people and companies wanting to, quote-unquote, disrupt your market. Well, the reality is that it's actually the exact opposite. The more likely you are to get disrupted a couple of years ago i had uh, the pleasure to speak at a conference for of all things manufacturers of white goods fridges washing machines you know the boring stuff yeah i mean i tell you what i do love my dishwasher Mm -hmm. and uh, it was a fairly typical vertical conference as you would imagine there was a guy from a research company who showed a lot of bar graphs that were inevitably pointing up. There were a couple of um, supply chain guys who said we're building lots of new warehouses to be able to ship all them all them fridges and all them all them washing machines, just like that old Dire Straits song, you know. So on and so forth, and then then I come along, and you know my job is to be the contrarian asshole. And I suspect I I fulfilled that brief rather well. I didn't have many slides. My first slide was one of a 1947 Chevy. Beautiful thing. All curvy and and gorgeous. My second slide was of a 2017 Tesla. And then my third slide was of a 1947 automatic washing machine. And the fourth slide was of a 2017 automatic washing machine. (laughs) I had to actually explain what I meant. It perhaps landed on the fears, perhaps not, I don't know. I actually didn't get much by way of follow-up. But the point there was the 1947 Chevy, as delicious as it was, only looked more or less like the 2017 Tesla. That was actually, remarkably, about the same lovely cherry red. (laughs) The Tesla is a computer on wheels. The 1947 Bendix, I think it was Bendix, the washer, looked and worked exactly the same as the 2017 washing machine. So my point there was, it's all good, but the nature of innovation is entirely unpredictable. And it shifts the earth under your feet without you even realizing that it is being shifted. And I asked how many people had heard of uh, nanotechnologies that make it possible for you to have a clean shirt just by giving it a bit of a shake and leaving it out outside for 15 minutes. And then I kind of went on about the principles of uh, selling and uh, finding markets this wonderful thing called the product market fit. And the product market fit only fits when me as the consumer and uh, you as the producer have the same end in mind. And the process of reaching the end is aligned. So if I want a clean shirt right now, today, I need to go down to the basement because that's where we have uh, the washer set up, wait for a pile of other shirts to amass because I'm not going to wash just one, chuck it in, water, washing powder, softener, wait an hour, take it out, hang it up, you get the story. I don't want to do any of those things, but I have to in order to have a clean shirt. The minute somebody comes along and says, you actually don't need to do any of that shit." Here's a way of having a clean shirt by going snap out on the deck. You know, stand out in the, in the sun, go snap, and you have a, you have a clean shirt. How long do you think I will continue to go down to the basement, wait an hour, dry you the know, washing? Not very long. And uh, their ears were beginning to prick up because uh, then I brought up the inevitable example of uh, Blockbuster and Netflix, and the fact that it wasn't actually Netflix that killed Blockbuster. It was broadband that killed Blockbuster (laughs) because all of a sudden I didn't have to drive down to the village, stand in a queue, wait for the right movie. And of course, it's a popular movie, so, you know, you can't get it because everybody else wants it. Get home. It's like, no, sorry, honey. I couldn't get sleepless in Seattle. I got Rambo 2 instead. (laughs) Hope you like it. It's almost the same. And then two days later, you have to drive the fuck down again to the village, or else they sting you late fees for returning the thing. And it wasn't the thing that I wanted to watch in the first place. So in the meantime, way over the horizon, a technology comes along that makes it easy to deliver anything to anybody, so long as it's in a digital form. And all of a sudden, Blockbuster is gone in three years. And actually, Netflix tried to sell itself to Blockbuster, Not many people know this for 50 million bucks, (laughs) right? That is why in order to innovate, you actually have to think broadly, more broadly than you are now. You have to think about things that have nothing to do with your business. And we're sort of coming back to why and how Bomber was called into being. We're all about trying to figure out what might be the likely scenarios that will affect businesses and and industries. And we're not foresight practitioners. This is a very different thing altogether. We are conveners. We help to make things happen by bringing together, among other things, groups of people who have nothing to do with the given business, but are able to help people in that business think differently and unless you are thinking differently you're not innovating you're kidding yourself you're wasting your money i don't know how many times i've had to actually explain to people who were charged with doing the innovation thing within a given company that well sure i can come along do a bunch of workshops It'll be fun, and I guess a couple of people will walk away thinking somewhat differently. But nothing at all will change within the company as an entity if the people who run that company think that they can actually innovate simply by telling you, and it's usually people who get dragged out of um, either HR, marketing, or technology to do the innovation thing. More often than not, technology, because, of course, technology is innovation, right? Not quite. And I had to explain to these poor sods who meant really well, but they had zero chance of actually making any long-term adjustment to the course of the ship when the captains of the ship thought that changing the course of the ship was not the thing that was required in order to innovate. If the captain says, you down there in the cargo hold, move those boxes from port to starboard and we will have done innovation. No. In order for the ship to innovate, the ship needs to be heading in a different direction. It doesn't need, and this is the thing, it's terrifying for people to to think that they need to change. They don't need to change or they didn't need to change that fast. And that radically, because a couple of degree shift in the course of the ship, and you end up in Rio de Janeiro instead of Panama, because time has passed. Unfortunately, that's the previous reality. The current reality is that we are all having to change very, very quickly. We have to turn on a penny. We have to actually stretch... The definition of agile, because agile is no longer sufficient. We are now at a time when not only change, the constant change is the only thing that can give you a chance at uh, success, at thriving long term, because everything has changed. So how can you not change when everything has changed? It's madness. It's actually one of the definitions of insanity, right?
1: You're talking... A lot about this mindset change. But then at the same time, you notice that the executives of today, they are educated in a certain way. And for them, having this mindset change and this thinking of changing the course, this is something they've never learned, they've never done, and they never had to do. And this is something which is extremely scary. So like, how can you aid them in this process? Because I I agree with you that if they don't alter their way of thinking, the organizations will have a super hard time to change.
0: Well, the good thing is that they don't actually have to know how to change. They just need to decide that they want to. So there are two steps to... uh, to this process. The first one, of course, is becoming aware that the course of the ship needs to be altered. And then you employ the right people to help you do that. The process itself is actually fairly straightforward because once you allow yourself the possibility that there are realities beyond the one that you've so carefully constructed, then it actually becomes exciting. It is terrifying to begin with, and then it becomes exciting. I've seen it several times when uh, people who are very traditionally minded when it comes to uh, business operations, they allow themselves to just open a window on a different world and get some input from uh, people other than the highly trained specialists within their field. And that's kind of where you need to start looking. This is not a recipe. I mean, God, you know, I don't come bearing recipes for the simple reason that there aren't any. But I've worked with um, imagination and ideas for all of my professional life. So if there's one thing I do understand, it's how these things actually can be made to appear in front of you somewhat more regularly and somewhat more efficiently than simply sitting back with a pencil and a blank sheet of paper staring at a white wall. That works, but it's a fairly lengthy process. Now, there's a whole class of human who see change as fuel, not as terror, And it's artists and creatives. So one of the main thrusts of um, my thinking and my work over quite some time has been to suggest to business that there is value in working with artists and creatives beyond the simple transactional nature of what happens usually. There are plenty of um, artists who have contributed beautiful works to plenty of corporate headquarters and there are plenty of um, publications and uh, advertising campaigns and, you know, marketing ideas that have been created by uh, people whose job it is to come up with those things. But that's just part of the value that business can draw from artists and from creatives because, You know, a photographer is not a guy with a lens stuck to his eye, but uh, a thinking human being with a set of experiences that may be interesting to not just look at in terms of lovely photographs for the annual report, but um, to listen to and to maybe take on board. Because a banker will see a bank as a bank. Every banker will see any bank as a bank, not because they're stupid or evil, but because this is what they're trained to do. But uh, a microbiologist will have an altogether different idea of what this entity that happens to be called a bank might be and how it might function. So if you sit down, a microbiologist, and then you bring an artist, and uh, a sports person and a handful of people who have nothing to do with that particular business, their ideas will be nothing like the ideas that are offered by bankers simply because they don't know anything about banking. And that is a good thing because if we are to help any business or any vertical to actually function in a new way, in this new reality, then relying on old thinking is only part of the solution. And I'm very far from suggesting that every business should throw out all of its uh, Excel sheets and fire all the MBAs and employ artists. It would be a fun exercise, but it would be somewhat short-lived, I expect. The MBAs are, of course, needed and You know, (laughs) some of my best friends are MBAs. But the idea is to broaden your thinking, and you can only broaden your thinking by inviting ideas and people from outside of your bubble. And we all have bubbles. Some of us have bubbles that are large because we're fortunate that way, but they're still bubbles. We have um, no idea or a very sketchy idea about what happens outside of those bubbles. And the nature of innovation is to consciously go out and seek ways to reach out into other bubbles. Mm -hmm. And people think it's hugely complicated and it requires great computing power and a whole um, chief innovation officer with, you know. Sure, it's great if your company can afford that. But for goodness sake, don't promote the CTO to be the chief innovation officer, because he or she will inevitably rely on their understanding, finely honed, deep and professional understanding of technology as the thing that brings innovation about. And uh, innovation is about actually drinking from many vessels and saying, oh, that's yuck. But hang on, if I mix that with the other thing that I actually, you know, tasted the other day, I might not be... Innovation, it's making cocktails. A lot of the time it doesn't work. You end up with a highly alcoholic drink that just gets you wasted, <laughs> which is enjoyable in and of itself at times, but um, it doesn't necessarily give your taste buds an orgasm. And cocktails are supposed to be delicious. And you don't know... What's going to be delicious? You can have a fair idea, but you can only do that by trying. That's the nature of innovation. Everything else, the technology, the processes, the war rooms, the publications, all those are tools. They are not innovation in itself.
1: One of the things that I hear you saying is technology being not really innovation per se, but that connects in my head with something called radical and incremental innovation. What's your view on these two?
0: Both important, both required for, quote-unquote, progress, but they are different things. If you're looking for something new, you can kind of figure out where to look. But if you narrow down that looking process, you will be limiting yourself to incremental innovation, which in itself is fine. I mean, if you have something good and you have a way of making it better, why would you not? The interesting question is how to place the idea of incremental innovation within that new landscape that we were talking at the beginning of um, ethics. And inclusion and uh, asking what's actually important. Because if you have a product and uh, you are innovating upon it incrementally, then uh, sticking to the old way of uh, making it simply more efficient, cheaper, making it sell more is probably no longer enough. I suspect that uh, our patterns of consumption will change sufficiently for a lot of companies to realize, well, we can't just make it better and make it a different color. We actually have to figure out why it is that we are making this thing in the first place and how does it contribute to, put it simply, making the world a more livable place. Because the other option is um, making the world a less livable place. And that's what we've been doing very efficiently for the last 150, 200 years. As, you know, the great Bill McDonough was quoted saying a number of times, if um, our goal was to take as much carbon out of the earth and um, push it out into the atmosphere as fast as possible then our strategy has worked remarkably well. But we are now coming up against uh, a ceiling. We're living on a planet where we are now running out of places to put rubbish. You know, again, to quote Bill McDonough, there are places in the ocean now where there's more plastic than plankton. You know, I'm from Australia, so we're not in the habit of mincing words. We've been shitting in in our own nest for a very long time. And we're now running out of places to store the shit. So we have a choice. Do we go back to shitting into the nest? Actually, there's got to be a better way. There are many successful companies that have uh, been created from the ground up with the idea of we'll make money for our shareholders, but we will do it in such a way that we don't end up shitting in our nest. And it's actually not that difficult. All it takes is a change in mindset. Of course, there are big, old, established polluting industries that realized some time ago that their day of reckoning is coming. They're trying very hard to postpone the arrival of that day. But it's not the tree huggers who are going to um, change the reality of those industries. It's the market. And the market is changing that reality already an electron produced from renewable sources is cheaper than an electron produced from coal. The road is now kind of one way, and it is pointing to renewables being the industry worth investing in, as opposed to yet another coal mine. So the next question is, why keep afloat industries that create a situation where we end up shitting in the nest? And maybe they should be gone. They will be gone. Again, not because these are evil or stupid people. They're just used to this particular way of doing business. And this particular way of doing business now has no future. The market's just going to shift. And it's going to shift because a lot of people are applying new thinking and applying it at scale. Imagine what world we'd be living in today If at the height of the fuel crisis in the 70s, if there was a strategic decision made at the highest levels of government to invest in industries that actually had a future, we'd be in a very different world. Mm. So, you know, again, not evil people, not stupid people, just people used to doing the thing that they've done in the way they've always done it without reference to the broader context.
1: Okay, Ralph, you talk a lot about the mindset and you talk a lot about the fact that there is an alternative way of doing things. It just needs to be seen and acted upon. So if you were to recall an innovative approach or innovative thinking that impressed you, what would it be?
0: Luckily, there are many examples, and if you're looking for big examples, they're actually really easy to find. But really interesting examples that are not big, or weren't big to begin with, are those examples where somebody actually had an idea and said, this might work. The whole TEDx phenomenon was uh, an experiment. Uh, Lara Stein thought that it might be a good idea to try and um, broaden the community impact of um, the TED format. And uh, in 2009, 2010, TED itself thought that, TED TED itself, i.e. the people there, thought that, you know, there'd be maybe 200 people around the world would be interested in running these things. It'd be kind of cool if 200 people did that. Well, we've now had 30,000 TEDx events. And um, that whole community has really galvanized a lot of um, creative thinking in a lot of places around the world. So we're kind of applying the same principle that Lara originally had 11 years ago to the BOMA Project, because she founded the BOMA Project a couple of years ago. And uh, with the lessons of uh, everyone in the community, we are now, we're applying those lessons to doing the same sort of thing, um, but doing it even faster. Because we are now certain that there are people out there who find this kind of thinking and this kind of energy and this kind of community energizing and worthwhile. Ultimately, it really boils down to having an idea that you think might work and giving it a try.
1: Okay, so if you were to recommend a book people should read when they want to get to this mindset shift, what would it be?
0: I'd probably start with Marcus Aurelius and Meditations. Because it's always good to go back to the source.
1: Incidentally, this is the fourth time we get a recommendation of this book, don't we? Yes. You?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Must read it. It's actually quite hilarious because, you know, um, every motivational speaker on Earth is, in essence, restating what Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus and Seneca said 2,000 years ago. Uh, <laughs> it's hilarious. But it only goes to show that, really, there are no new ways of thinking. You just have to expand the way of thinking that you are using right now today. So that's one. I'd probably make a short list of uh, books on social psychology and psychology. Solomon Ash, Kazimierz Dombrowski, not having to look too far and really not read books by people who have built successful businesses and are now writing these books telling you how they built those successful businesses. Because that will be books about how they did it, (laughs) which is fun, but it may or may not have anything to do with how you do it. Yeah.
1: Ralph, thank you very much for this conversation. Very insightful. It was awesome to have you with us today.
0: Always a pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catching the Next Wave podcast. We would love to hear from you on Twitter at Malka6 and at DLS6. You can find more details on www.catchingthenextwavepodcast.com.
0: You know, you never get the second chance to make a first impression.